This week's episode is a two-parter to celebrate the NBA trade deadline. Part one, we recorded on Wednesday night, and we talk about LeBron's historic night breaking Kareem's all-time scoring record, as well as the Kyrie trade and a couple other trades that happened early before the deadline. And then in part two, we discussed the blockbuster KD trade, as well as a flurry of activity that happened leading up into the final hours of the deadline itself. So enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nithin. What's good, Nithin? I think our new strategy of load managing the pod is really working out in our favor because instead of scrounging for content, we just go weeks without recording. And then by the time that we're ready to roll, there's uh, you know five storylines that would otherwise lead a given week's episode. So I know we were basically about to record <laughs> after the Kyrie trade. Then we were about to record kind of leading up to LeBron breaking the record. Now we're recording. It's Wednesday at around 7.30 Central Time. We have breaking news uh, of Russell Westbrook being traded. So this whole LeBron's just this entire uh, you know circle of life is really taking over the NBA as it has for the last 20 years, which is poetic given that he did, in fact, break the all-time scoring record last night versus Oklahoma City. Yeah, and we'll get to that. But this is the prime time for NBA content given we got all-stars, we got – trades we got um the rumor mills at its full swing right right up until what's the deadlines tomorrow at 3 p.m so yep yeah we got a lot to discuss man i'm excited but you know what we're starting with you know what we're starting with the king the chosen one he delivers on his biggest promise so first let me let me hear what were you doing how were you watching were you did you actually care about this game was it just an inevitable conclusion and you tuned in just for part of it tell me how you felt so a week ago the way the schedule was setting up it looked like he was going to break it tomorrow right uh, at home versus Giannis national tv what ended up happening i think was he had 36 uh, or, or, or some 25 or something so he's basically 36 points away and then they put the thunder game on national tv and I was like, he's got a shop, you know, AD's been kind of balling. So even if LeBron has a sick game, it could easily be like a 32, you know, 12 and 11. I was like, maybe it's not actually going to happen. But then he wears the all black suit. Everybody's in attendance. Jay-Z, Denzel. You think Jay-Z and Denzel have nothing better to do than go to two Lakers games in one week? Nah, these guys are busy. He basically told him this was going to be the night. AD looked like Christmas was canceled for the next 10 years because he wasn't allowed to shoot the ball during the game. And that's when you knew this was going to be it. It's actually smart because this game obviously got flexed into TNT, right? I don't think it was intentionally initially supposed to be on. And then secondly, you know, it's a game that in theory they should have won. And so it's like, okay, we're going to do this in a win. Unfortunately, the, you know, the just misery of the Lakers season took over. But I was glued the whole game. Uh, obviously wanted to watch him, but it was two fun teams that have little, you know, interest in defense. So it was going to be fun from a basketball standpoint in general. But as anybody who loves a game, if you were not watching, I got to question, you know, what your sort of true appreciation is of the NBA. I feel like the moment he came out in all black, especially for you, I know how much you care about that stuff. That was the only like, analysis no, I needed. There was no way he was showing up like that. I didn't have to hear anything about his family, about the celebrities in attendance. All I had to see was the fit and I knew it was happening. So 
just like you, I was kind of planning on Thursday being the big the big night, getting excited for that, then quickly realized it was going to be yesterday. Um, but I think what surprised me right before we get into the actual accomplishment was there was a lot of fanfare around it. I, I think we joked about this a year ago, maybe two years ago, that he doesn't have the kind of reputation in L.A. given they've had Kobe, they've had Magic and Kareem. Um, he doesn't. He's going to break it on a team that doesn't care about him as an idol as much as as others. He's yep. going to break a record that it seemed inevitable. So how much excited, excitement would there be when he's just kind of been heading towards this for a while? And then add on top of all of that, he's doing it in a season where the Lakers have not been making much noise. So my biggest worry was yesterday night, it was going to kind of be a little bit sad where he really wants to be it to be a big deal and the NBA forces it on us, but no one would really care. Mm-hmm. And boy, was I wrong. Um, just the spectacle of it all, the the feeling of the crowd, the excitement. I mean, Staples never gets that loud, but this felt like a finals game. It had the ticker every moment. Every, the crowd is hanging on every bucket. It was an incredible, incredible experience. Well, and I think like it, it is true because I felt like he had this vision for the moment because, I mean, it is any player, regardless of how self-absorbed they are or they aren't, breaking the freaking all-time points record, which is probably the most hallowed individual record in the NBA, is going to make you feel some type of way. But it did feel like he had orchestrated everything with LeBron is so orchestrated. There was an element that was like, okay, this is like you're going to do this thing where you're going to sort of like run back down the court. Then everybody's he was like pointing at people to come. It was like they had practiced the dress rehearsal. It was like, yeah, you get over here. You know, you get over here, Savannah, Bryce, Bronny, etc. And so and then they immediately started playing the video and they just like stopped the game. I was like, are we just going to call this one? Like, you know, you know, Thunder were up five. You know, what if we just made the Lakers up five and everyone went home like that? Nobody would be too unhappy with that result. So a little bit of that, I think, felt I don't, don't want to say manufactured, but it isn't a homegrown feel. Right. It wasn't like he did this in Cleveland or frankly, even Miami, which felt more of like his team because it was like the peak of his powers when he played there. Um and the Lakers are a complex team to play for, right? They are so provincial in their guys. Uh, Kobe, Magic, like you said, Shaq, And so it was kind of one of those things where it's like LeBron always felt like the outsider, despite being the fact that he was a greater player sort of all time than any of them. And he brought them a title, right? Everything that I've talk- talked about with the regards to the Lakers, I just always think about what if they did not win the bubble championship? Like if the season had never resumed, this would have been an abject disaster beyond any sort of measure because – he still breaks this record. He's probably still there. They obviously had already made the AD trade. They still probably make the Russ trade as some type of like Hail Mary. And so everything would have happened that has happened in terms of the last four years, except they would not have won a championship. So, I mean, I want to I want to talk, get your thoughts just on LeBron and the 20-year arc that you've seen. But like, he is truly defied reality to a point that desensitization is not even... It's an it's an understatement for what he's made us believe about the uh, the NBA, similar to what Brady's done with the NFL. And it's just year after year, like to average 30 a game in year 20. I mean, it's pretty much obviously it's without comparison, but it's never going to be done again. I don't think with the way the game's being played and sort of the the even with the heightened scoring, like that type of consistency, that type of health, that longevity. There's no words, really. The fact that he has to make us care about this, I think, speaks to his greatness. It's the fact that 
we take it for granted. We assume, of course, yeah, he was going to break this record. Um, it was only a matter of time. Oh, he's averaging 30 a game. Well, Lakers aren't winning, so it's all stat padding. I think we take everything for granted. And so he has to bring kind of the levity of the moment. Um, he has to kind of make it more pronounced. I, I mean, come on. The pregame warmups, he was practicing the hook shot purely for the cameras. It looked like maybe he was going to attempt doing the game winning or the, the record breaking shot on a hook. Hook shot, you I saw him kind of sure backing down the coming post across looking the lane. for a good angle. Yeah. But everything he does is <laughs> Yeah. It's all orchestrated for sure. He knows he has intention behind everything. At the same time, um he I think he genuinely broke down. I think that was actually real emotion. At first it was kind of like, yeah, yeah, let me give the ball to Kareem. Let me do all the thing, you know, the handshakes and stuff. But I I honestly those tears, it felt like it finally caught up um the mm-hmm. moment caught up to him and he realized just how impactful it was so i it was a great moment i think really enjoyed watching it really enjoyed kind of cheering with every basket i love the little ticker at the top and and the then he was, was spent great, afterwards yeah. and they lost the game <laughs> but well i mean that's the worst part of it all right is that they like had this disaster defensive effort and he basically gave up after he scored the the points that got him there he only scored two more points the rest of the game, including in the fourth quarter where it got kind of close, and it didn't look like he was particularly trying. Um, I could see that being like a really big emotional toll, but then on top of that, it's like, you know, it's a stoppage of the play and this whole deal, and so it's hard to like snap back in. The only guy who seemed to be trying or sort of still have energy in the fourth quarter was, uh, was uh, Russell Westbrook. But I would say one thing. In terms of the Thunder – for how young they are and untested they are, it is pretty impressive that they were able to kind of stay with it, you know, and keep that uh, energy alive, keep that shooting alive, despite the fact that the Lakers made, you know, several sort of uh, mini runs and looked like they were trying to get back in. Obviously, the crowd wanted LeBron to go for it. So I was very impressed. And I know a lot of the national audience probably hasn't seen those guys play that much until last night. A very, very great performance by the Thunder. Um, at the same, yeah, you know, like you could have had it the other way where, do you remember the Utah Jazz in Kobe's last game? I don't yeah. know if it was out of reverence or incompetence, but they kind of just. That was reverence. That was reverence because it was the last game of the season. But what wasn't it their implications in that game? No. They I might were be both remembering in the, it in the lottery. Yeah. They were both in the lottery. But yeah, I mean, it's great the Thunder did not let the moment, let the fact that LeBron is probably a hero to a lot of those guys growing up, right? If you think about the age of the the Thunder roster, many of them grew up with LeBron as probably the focal point. It was not Jordan, maybe not even Kobe. Like these guys were born in the 2000s, um, a good chunk of them, I bet. So yeah. it, it's uh, crazy that they got to see that in person, but they also didn't let it overwhelm them so good win for them lakers obviously have bigger problems and we'll get to them but i want you okay we already know my thoughts on lebron right and i don't think anyone would change their opinion after it's like him getting the record last night it's not changing anyone's opinion yeah at the same time it's it gets you to start to reflect about everything he's done about where his kind of place in nba history is now that it's finally happened we knew it was going to happen but now that it's happened what, how do you reflect now upon where LeBron kind of sits among the 
NBA history. I, I mean, to me, you know, like you said, I'm not going to move him to one because he broke that record, but I'm at a point where I'm officially suspending all GOAT arguments. To me, it's if you don't have LeBron one, you can't have him lower than two. And if you have LeBron one, I'm not going to push back and say, hey, what are you wow. thinking? That's kind of where I'm at with it. Because to, to, to me, it's like, ultimately, you're talking about a guy who's done something that no other player in the history of the league is probably going to, has definitely done before and may never come close to. You're talking about 40,000 points probably when it's all said and done, 10,000 rebounds, 10,000 assists. He's top 10 in all three categories. You're talking about all-time playoff points, four titles, four MVPs. Yeah, that's not quite at the level of a Jordan or or Kareem, but there are trade-offs where he is out outpaced them in certain things. And so I, for a guy who loves rankings as much as I do, I'm almost – worried that the discourse around him is going to be too toxic from both his fanboys as well as his detractors. So then you're 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 running into a situation where it's it's always about is he the goat or is he not versus this dude is greatness that we'll never see again because today's generation of stars hates playing basketball. One thing LeBron has never done is is taken off uh time when he's healthy and he's ready to go. Um and Maybe now in year 20, the, the load management becomes a little bit more of a factor. I think that would be fair. But he's still averaging 38 and 7. He still looks like their best player despite having an in-prime Anthony Davis on the team. And that's just – it's a testament to the greatness. And you're going to look at it years later and you're just going to be confused totally when you look at his basketball reference page because I don't think anybody is going to come close to looking like that uh, for a long, long time. Yeah, he's on an uptick in scoring the last – two years um at the end of his career he's now averaging 30 a game i you know for me the goat debates are always going to happen to me this was the official coronation i think as the greatest player of all time this is what he needed to actually have in his resume to to really solidify his place as the best player and and i think with with lebron we always talk about and I know this has been this is a straw man that gets brought up a lot, which is, oh, he's you know people say he's not a scorer, but he now leads the, the all time scoring list. I'm not here to say that that's a big kind of point of contention, but I am here to say that the difference between LeBron and Jordan in scoring gets talked about as if it's this monumental gap, and the reality is LeBron mm. is second. You talk about per 36, I think he's second to Jordan. He's a better scorer than Kobe. He's a better scorer than Kareem. He's a better scorer than all these guys who are known as scorers. And yet at the same time, we talk about the assists. We talk about the all-around game. The fact that we don't think of him as a scorer, and he still is the best scorer of all time in total points, and even in a per-game basis, per 36 minutes basis, the second best. And I, I just think that, his dominance as an overall basketball player is what's going to define his legacy. And I think no matter the accolades MJ has had, the perfection of a career he's had, at some point, longevity matters. Tom Brady's mm-hmm. won the most number of Super Bowls. But, you know, what also defines Tom Brady is the longevity. He didn't have the greatest peak seasons. You know, Manning has had some of them. Mahomes will end up having those. But it's the dominance over a long period of time. It's the dominance with different pieces around you. It's the dominance no matter what situation you're in, whether it's the 2018 Cavs, they have to drag by your their feet to the finals, 
or it's a super not super kind of team like the Miami Heat, LeBron has done it all. And I think that ultimately to me is what makes him so great is he's done this for such a long period in so many different ways across so many different stat categories that when I think of dominance, that is what matters most. And he's got enough titles to at least be considered a winner. Yeah. I mean, look, I think the, the, the reality of it is his launch. I, 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 the only thing I'll push back is I don't think it's Brady's longevity that makes him great. I think it's the fact that no, that's why I opened Bowls. up. I said it's the Super Bowls, but I'm saying what's also yep. really impressive about Brady is the longevity on top of that. Right. And it's it's uh, I think it's one of those things where he he has no holes in his game and his resume for the most part at this point. Like you can nitpick and say the 2011 finals or, you know, whatever, but or even some of these Lakers runs. But it's almost like he's a victim of his own success in some ways. Right. Where he's winning a lot, but not winning at all all the time. And therefore, it looks like he's losing on the biggest stages. I think this is why this this is why I'm already just like cringing at like what's going to happen around like who knows what's going to happen with this Lakers team and we should get into all the moves there but like it feels like the last 4 or 5 years of his career have a chance to be kind of ugly from just like a competitive standpoint um be, which is a bummer because there's a world in which he's still kind of the best or second best player on a title worthy team um and you're looking at it and you're just like okay well these guys can't get out of their own way. No matter what they do, they can't seem to like get out of the 12th spot in the, in the West. Um, and so I, I hope that that changes for his sake, just for history's sake. Cause I don't want to see him still be doing crazy shit, like averaging 31, 32 a game in year 21 or something wild 22. And then they're, you know, 24 and 36. Cause that would not, that would be a very distorted view of how uh, to think about, you know, the back half of his career here. I agree, but at the same time, I think that I don't understand why LeBron gets these expectations around what happens in the twilight years of his career. I think Bill Simmons mentioned on his pod today about how when you look at guys, Kareem and Kobe and all these superstars, they all fade towards the end of their career. They all fade. They all fade, and that's how their career ends. And Kobe was not competitive. Um, You know, Michael went to the Wizards, and he put up great numbers on the Wizards. He was still pretty pretty good. But he was not also that competitive on that team, and his career looked a lot different. Right. So I don't understand why the expectation is that in these twilight years, LeBron, you know, there's a lot of nitpicking around the, the night to night defense, the load management. It's like, dude, this guy's 38. How do you expect him to carry a team with this roster? And yes, a team he's partially responsible for with Westbrook and AD and some of these other guys. How do you expect him to carry them night in and night out? It's just not feasible. So I do think it's unfair that that criticism gets levied against him when it isn't really used against anyone else. I I don't think it's about criticism. I think it's, it's, well, there will be criticism because he's maybe the most criticized player in the history of the league with social media, with how long he's been in our, in our spotlight. So it's less about, what the random ass fan who comments on every uh, post about why he's won zero real rings. It, I was talking about unless about the skip Bayless of the world. My point is more that it's kind of a tragedy in a way because he is good enough to not necessarily carry, but be co-pilot at least on a title contender. I really believe that. Right. And so by the fact that they've just totally wrecked this franchise for the last three years, really the last, since he's been there minus the bubble run, they, have robbed us of what else could have been with him. 
Like LeBron in the playoffs would continue to be one of the most scary sights in the whole league, uh, even now. And who knows if we're going to see him in the playoffs this year or next year or what this team's going to look like, right? And so that's actually it's it's more of a it's criticism really of the front office for not having wielded the power he still has, and less on whether he has expectation. But I do think, like I said, he's a victim of his own success and he's a victim of his greatness and also the the era in which he grew up and played in, which is the social media, like let's be as mean as possible to each other at all times era. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. I think the one thing I like to think about is three or four years ago when they traded for Anthony Davis, at that time, who was better, Anthony Davis or Embiid? Maybe it's a toss-up. Yeah, I think I would say Davis because 2020, you would argue Davis was a top five player. I think he was. So even Davis, right? Imagine if uh, just in a hypothetical situation, he pairs up with a guy like Embiid. Um, and Embiid and Davis at the time were neck and neck, yet Embiid continued to be dominant. The injuries haven't phased him. He's got that drive. And if LeBron was paired up with a guy like Embiid at this point in his career, we may have seen another title. Right or at least championship Maybe. contention. I think the challenge has been AD has been disappointing from a availability standpoint. A um, it doesn't always have the same drive. Is inconsistent at times. Has never lived up to the bubble. Uh, even though you think about the bubble, he was still pretty young. Uh, he was what 26? 27 maybe? Yeah, 20, um, 26. Yeah, because he's like twenty nine. He was a young right guy. Now, right? So I think I think it is unfortunate that LeBron. Uh, you know, the AD pairing should have worked out a lot better. Um, and of course, they made a lot of other mistakes along the way with Westbrook and the pieces they built around them. But you're right. It is it is sad that we didn't get to see LeBron with maybe a, a more consistent superstar because then he could have mm-hmm. easily played second fiddle and then taken this right. team to, to greater heights. Yeah, I mean, his his game is such that he can't by design really defer too much. But if you look at those two, the second and third years where he got to play with AD at his peak, his scoring average was down to 25 a game, right? So he was willing to give up at least a lot of that like early work, maybe the balls in his hands down the stretch. But now it's just like they need 30 or they're going to lose and they lose anyway, even when he scores 30. So it's a sort of depressing situation, but I mean, I know he doesn't try like almost at all on defense at this stage. Don't tell me whatever the advanced numbers tell you about that, but like, no, he's bad. the fact that he can. Yeah, well, you were trying to make a case otherwise like early in the year, but the fact early that in the season even, his, he was really good. That's that's the a fact. Scoring thirty a game with ease, like last night, thirty six through three quarters, is kind of uh, amazing to see when you see how hard it is for other natural born scorers like a Jason Tatum who's randomly stuck, or 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 even like uh, kind of like even like a Jokic who sometimes can't get his looks or doesn't want to shoot like. He can always do it all. Like he checks every box every single game. There's never a, a game where he doesn't rebound. There's never a game where he doesn't pass, where he doesn't score. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't and, know and how even yesterday, I wanted him to be more aggressive. There were times he he'd dump it off, and I'm like, dude, just take the shot, take the shot. I know it looks like you're forcing things, but right. And he still got to 36 easily without like I know he did take a lot of possessions and, and force some shots, but on an efficient. How many shots did he end up taking? 17, 18? Yeah, I mean, he was making he, – he shot, I think, four of six from three, too. So his three-pointer, which hasn't worked this year, has looked pretty good. And that, once again, is it's it was so uh, representative of how he plays the game. 
He yeah. was going for points. He needed to score, and yet he shot 13 for 20 and 4 for 6 from 3 with 7 boards and only 3 assists, but just efficient, controlled the game for a good amount of it. Granted, they they still lost, but the fact that they were still a plus when he was on the floor says a lot. So, anyways, I, I it was a great, great night, man. I'm, I'm also glad that the Bill Simmonses of the world, the uh, uh, the all the national media types, the players are giving him his roses. At least the day after, this isn't the time to, except for maybe Skip, to, to tell why Jordan is better. But I think everyone, I think, realizes just how special this is, and it was treated as such. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that, that, that's, that's very fair. Um, I, Bill Simmons was as nice as I've heard him about LeBron in a long time. Yeah, definitely. And even then he had to throw some digs, but it's the most you could ask for. So speaking of, you know, LeBron kind of achieving this milestone within the context of a really forgettable Lakers season, he was very vocal on Saturday about wanting to add Kyrie Irving and how much he would be able to spark this roster after Kyrie's uh, yet another trade demand uh, in his four-year tenure in Brooklyn. Didn't get his wish. Uh, there's different reports about whether the Lakers off- offered both uh, 27 and 29 picks or just one of them uh, along with Russell Westbrook. But, you know, the, the Nets, who are still looking to be good as long as Kevin Durant wears that jersey, chose a different option. He is headed to uh, to Dallas actually to make his debut tonight. So he's now Maverick, joining forces with Luka Doncic. They traded Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, a first and two seconds um, for Kyrie. Let's start. Let's start here. So there's a lot to unpack, as there always is with Kyrie. But what did you just make of that return uh, for a guy who was at the door in four months? And sort of how would you grade this uh, initially uh, for both teams? I give it a. And B plus for the Nets. Yep. And I give it an A minus for the Mavs. Now, here's why I like it for the Mavs. Um, and <laughs> we know Kyrie can blow this up at any time. And he's, his quotes, literally his first press conference, already ripe with controversy. Yep. But the, the way I look at this trade is, so Nathan, I pulled up your, your handy dandy player rankings list, which I oh, think God. you produce every two weeks. <laughs> it changes probably more <laughs> frequently been, than it needs only to. Bill Simmons, only Bill Simmons ranks players on a changing basis as much as as, as more often than I do. Yeah, and and look, whenever, whenever we talk about Luca, we're like we, they need to pair him with another star. And I think when we talk about star, top twenty guy, right? Top twenty guy is a good sidekick to really make the Mavs a contender to really move the needle for them. If you go through the top 20 list, and I'm just looking at your list, which I know not everyone has the privilege of seeing right now, but Kyrie is on that list at 18. Every other player on that list cannot be had, except for maybe you could argue Kevin Durant, which would be a king's ransom. Mm -hmm. And a guy like Jalen Brown, I don't know if it's actually true, like would Boston actually part with him. But everyone else, you go down the line, you... Giannis, Luka, Jokic, Embiid, Curry, Leonard, Tatum, even towards the end of the list, Zion, Jimmy, Damian Lillard, Bam, Donovan Mitchell. My point is you can't get any of these guys. It's it's hard. And so when you're getting a guy like Kyrie, I understand the baggage he comes with. I understand the fact that he's due for a new contract. 
But if you're the Mavs, you need to make a big swing. None of this tweaking on the edges and getting guys like Dinwiddie and Porzingis. They've been doing that for years, and it has not worked. They needed to make a swing for the fences move. And the only guy you could feasibly do that was Kyrie. And so I think giving up one first-round pick, yes, it's a big risk. And a guy like Dinwiddie, who's proven to be pretty solid, but you raise the ceiling on your team um, and give yourselves the potential of maybe re-signing him if it works out well. So I think it was relatively low risk considering they had to get a top 20 guy and that this was the only real path for them to do something dramatic. What are your thoughts? Um, I wish you didn't have this take so we could have a little bit of a debate, but I, I completely agree. Uh, let's start with the Maverick side, right? Because there's a lot of pearl clutching uh, as it comes to Kyrie. We know how uh, how much of the media has a, a virtue signal component to them. So the concept of him just horrifies them, right? And the reality is I thought the player, you know, player rankings are a good proxy for exactly why it was a good deal. All year, all we hear about is how shitty the Mavericks roster is, how little help Luka has around him, how last year's Western Conference run was a fluke and there's no way that's repeatable. It doesn't mean that they're going to make it there now or you know, potentially make the finals, but in what world was this terrible roster going to generate another player of that caliber? Now, Kyrie may be a bad bet. We know that. He may be unreliable. We know that. Um, but he has had actually health issues, right? It's not just the question of like the off-court stuff. He's had health problems where he's stayed off the court because of injury. But you're talking about a guy who's above 40%, basically 50, 40, 90, 27, 5, and 5, all-star starter, um, and, and not just by fan vote, right? True, truly worthy of the recognition. You talk about a guy, one of the few in the league, who has played with a ball-dominant star and succeeded, maybe not Luka-level dominant, but – you know, pretty close with LeBron. And you're talking about a team that had no way up and everyone was just counting down the days till Luca's free agency, which is not for another three or four years, by the way. So all that put together to give up one pick, it's risk, but you're you're not coming anywhere close to landing that with what the what the uh, Mavericks had to offer. Doesn't mean that this team is is a lot better this year because they still have to add more defensive caliber and they're going to do so, right? Whether it's, you know, before tomorrow's deadline or this summer, but they now actually have a viable path to either keeping Kyrie and Luca and building around that, or if Kyrie does walk, yeah, they lost a pick, but they open up cap space to, to try something new because we all know that this wasn't working. It's just inconceivable to me that people can't understand the Mavericks predicament that they themselves put on them, uh, you know, all season with how bad the rest of the roster was. Um, so I thought it's a, it's an absolute calculated and, and smart risk for, for Mark Cuban to take and, you know, whether or not like Nico Harrison, Jason Kidd, blah, 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 whether or not that matters for Kyrie or not. I don't think it does if he, if he bailed on his boy KD, but if he plays well, he's on his best behavior and he knows the Mavericks are his best shot to get paid. Maybe he'll kind of keep it together long enough for that to happen. And that's the other thing. The incentives are totally aligned. He has been playing really well this year because it's a contract year. Uh, I think he's been on his best behavior since the whole suspension and all those controversies. He's been on his best behavior and been playing really good basketball. So I I like it. I think he solves a lot of their crunch time issues, their crunch time dependence on Luka. And this is a clear ceiling razor. Move and and you give up, you know. Dorian Finney-Smith was a nice piece for them, a good defensive piece. Um, Dinwiddie, of course, you had to give up in a trade like this. 
But I think ultimately they didn't lose too much in terms of you're not gutting your roster completely um, for to make a move like this. And they preserve, I think Luca, he himself has said he needed help. He can't sustain this level of, as great as it is for his MVP case, this level of play is not sustainable heading into the playoffs. So they needed a way to manage that. They needed a secondary scorer who has more punch than a Dinwiddie or a Brunson who Luca's relied on in the past. And Kyrie is exactly that. And and like you said, LeBron, LeBron would literally take off possessions and let Kyrie cook. And that may not be the best, the prettiest offense. I mean, it's pretty because Kyrie is so talented, but that kind of model, Luca can literally take possessions off when in today's Mavs, he can never do that. The moment he sits, their numbers drop. The moment he's on the floor and he's not handling the ball or really resulting in the final shot, their offense suffers. So I think it's going to be a big help to him and him preserving his game to the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, tonight, you know, I think Luka might not be playing versus the Clippers, but that would have been a fascinating first test case because Kyrie's going to go. He's going to start just to see how they look against a playoff caliber team and one with, you know, great defenders on the wing. So I'm curious to see if it uh, if it actually um, works. And, and I think that, look, with Kyrie, there's always a honeymoon period, right? This, Like we said, I think we're probably understating how, how much of a flight risk this can be and how mercurial it is. But at least he'll be in Texas. He knows there's no chance of a vaccine mandate either today or ever in his NBA career. So that's a plus. Um, and I guess the downside is that, um, you know, he's going to – a team mid season that has high hopes with, with Luca and has kind of like that constantly ticking clock. Um, and it's going to take a little while to integrate, but he's such, he's such a malleable player just on court fit, at least offensively that I don't expect to see, you know, a huge drop off from him. I think he can kind of get going right away, but let's, let's talk about it from the uh, Nets side. I mean, the Nets, I think the final numbers is Kyrie Harden and KD played 16 games together. The team went 13 and three. KD and Kyrie in three and a half seasons played just 74 games together, man. Not even one full season. Um, and now they're staring down the gauntlet of maybe moving KD. They're still trying to stay competitive. They've made a thousand roster makeovers since these guys signed in 2019. I can't even believe this is a team that's still a functioning playoff roster at this point uh, because of how much change they've had and yet you look at them and it's like all right well they still have a decent shot because they have a ton of wing depth they have a ton of defense and they have one of the five best players in the world so i'm not sure if they can go toe-to-toe with uh, any team as spencer dinwiddie with their second best player but for the hand that they were dealt and some of what they dealt to themselves they've decently done they've done a decent job of putting together some version of a playoff rotation yeah the nets of course, dug themselves into this hole with everything they've done, but it's hard not to feel bad for them, given the unpredictability of of KD and Kyrie and and Harden. But they turned, they did a good job turning Kyrie into some usable pieces. They get another pick to fill the void of picks that they lost. Um, and I don't know; it's it's really interesting to see what's going to happen with KD, um, given we already know his uh, discontent with with the. The organization now his buddy is gone. I don't know what they do this offseason, but I think in terms of just giving themselves a chance, at least this postseason, they're in okay yeah. shape. No one thinks they're going to go far, but with KD and the way he's been playing, uh, they definitely have enough 
pieces to maybe make it interesting in the first and possibly second round. Yeah. I think the problem is with KD, it's like he's not playing for first round exits, right? Or competitive second round series. Like he's playing, well, who the hell knows what he's playing for? But I think this is a, as good as this team is compared to where they could have been post Harden, post um, Kyrie. This is still a situation where I don't think he's long for the for, for the roster. And you know what the crazy thing is, dude? If they had just never made the Harden trade, right, none of this would have really mattered because they wouldn't have had so many assets outstanding to Houston. Kyrie and KD were free agents. They did not trade for them. So if they had to rebuild and blow it all up, yeah, it would be a bad ending to what they had, you know, championship level promise. But they wouldn't have had like a five to six year window where they were potentially totally screwed like Brooklyn was in the 2010s. The Harden trade, the subsequent Simmons disaster, just disaster is too light of a word for what the hell is going on with him. All of that was the reason why this matters way more than any other situation where you blow it up because it didn't work. Absolutely. And, and it's, you know, it's unfortunate. That was one part of it. It's also unfortunate they could never get their role guys um, healthy or, you know, this year now they're getting contributions from, from everyone. But the last couple of years, it's like Joe Harris was out. TJ Warren was doing God knows what. Um, you didn't have a guy like Yuta Watanabe kind of now providing valuable minutes. And Cam Thomas now has is, is come, come across. Um, all of a sudden, he's hot. So they never had those supporting pieces either. So they're so much dependent on that top end talent. And then when that blew up, they really had nowhere to go. So it's it's such a fascinating team. <laughs> like these last three years, if there was a documentary about how this all transpired, I'd watch it. I don't want to know. Like this is yeah for three guys when they were on the court for a very brief amount of time. And it worked so, so well to give up on it that quickly. Uh, it's it sucks, but but yeah, I think they'll be okay. They manage this. the 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 ship is slowly sinking, but they're doing a good job, kind of throwing water out. You know, like taking buckets of of water and dumping it yeah. back into the ocean as fast as they can. But at the end, this ship is slowly sinking, and it's just a matter of yeah. when that KD. What happens with KD this off season? It's kind of like a don't get it twisted. This shit is definitely going to the bottom of the ocean, yeah. right? Like at some point or other. I mean. You know what's funny? If the team had just never moved to Brooklyn and Jay-Z had never bought a stake and the whole deal, this wouldn't have happened because New Jersey did not have a vaccine mandate. Kyrie would have been able to play home games. James Harden would not have asked out, and they could have made their way through KD's annual MCL sprain that causes him to miss the All-Star game and play like 40 games that year. Or they would have never signed with the Nets to begin with because they had those lame-ass jerseys and they didn't have the cool Brooklyn aura to them. (laughs) That's true. They would be like, you want me to go to East Rutherford, New Jersey, as like my big tri-state homecoming? Yeah, yeah. Durant Um, was going to go from Golden State to East Rutherford? No. What happens to him, you think? Like, I think they probably keep him tomorrow and they move him this summer when teams have reset their contracts and figure out picks that become available after this year's draft. But I mean, what do you think? Is it Phoenix? Is it Miami? Is it, you know, the Lakers? Like what, where, what do you kind of envision here? I would move him, man, I would move him this deadline because this is not going to end well. Like he's already showed that he's not happy and his buddy's gone 
This team is falling apart. What instills confidence that he's not going to ask out later? And I think now his value is still as high as it ever will be. Um, I think any team that's going to give you three or first round, three first round picks at least with a young player like Phoenix can give Mikel Bridges um, and maybe Aiden. Uh, I think, you, and you know, even if the Kings, if the Kings put up a, a package of three picks, Keegan, uh, Harrison Barnes, a couple other guys, eh, that, that's also appealing. I, I think you just pull the trigger now because what's the point in like dragging this out? There's no way you're beating Boston. There's no way you're beating Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. There's no way you're beating Philly. That's depressing because Consider I think the they experiment really dead. There's a world in which Kyrie, they kind of figure it out and just decide to pay him this last summer because, you know, he's going to stay and that, you know, they're going to actually look to keep or, or Ben Simmons was going to turn into some version of himself. But don't underestimate how much of this is based on how bad he looked. Too, you know what I mean? It probably had this like residual effect of every being everybody being super depressed because he's basically makes 35 million a year to be like sort of a little more active than PJ Tucker. Um, <laughs> and that's where we're at with him. Yeah. The funny thing is they locked up Durant on that extension, right? So they have him for a while. And if, if they got something out of Simmons that looked promising, you convince yourself to pony up for Kyrie. Um, I mean, who knows if Kyrie still would have not requested a trade, but then you go all in with Kyrie Durant, a functioning Simmons, you have them all locked up for a couple of years, and then you can start building around them to kind of form a title contender. This wasn't that far off from still being a very good team for the years to come, but it all fell apart so fast. Yeah, it really was. uh... Oh, man, they will make documentaries over this. I think the Clippers, because they're still decent, um, don't get as much hate for how much that it's blown up in their face. But, uh, you know, given what SGA became, but, you know, you couldn't have predicted the Kawhi ACL, right? Maybe they win the title that year. That basically knocked them out for two years. But that is nearly as bad of a return so thus far. But because they're still competitive and they still have a shot, you don't really hear the same noise. And also because the players themselves are not like this individually covered and hated as KD, Kyrie, and Durant. Yep, exactly. So... All right, so let's finish off switching back to the Lakers. Um, So the big news, so they've now already executed two trades. We talked about the Rui Hachimura trade a couple weeks ago. Do you have this terms in front of you right now? Because there's a lot of moving pieces right now in the deal that just went down right before we started uh, recording tonight. I don't have the exact details. Let's see what Woj says here. Okay, so, huh. The Lakers are finalizing a deal to send for D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt to go to the Lakers, Mike Conley, and picks to the Timberwolves, Russell Westbrook, and a lightly protected pick to the Jazz. In addition, Juan Toscano-Anderson and Damian Jones from the Lakers to the Jazz, Nikhil Alexander-Walker from the Jazz to the Timberwolves. Wow. Okay. Um... Your thoughts. <laughs> That's a lot. Uh, we've been hearing about the Russ trade for a long, long time, and it finally got done. So what did you think? I'll start with the Lakers. I think it's a solid trade on paper. 
right? They had three goals. One is get rid of Westbrook's contract. Don't give up more than a pick, right? One pick max, ideally. And get some help. Um, and you're going to need more help than just one mediocre guy. You know, they, they have a lot of holes on their roster. And they end up filling it with D'Angelo Russell, who's been having a good season. Malik Beasley, who can provide a scoring punch. And Vanderbilt, who defensively gives you another big uh, in the middle that you can work with. So on paper, look, you get some depth. You get rid of Westbrook's contract. And you only give up a pick to do all of this. Pretty shrewd by Palinka. That being mm-hmm. said, I don't see how this moves the needle. Like, this confirms the Lakers will make the play-in this year. Great. Right? So now they're a play-in team. Best maybe eight or nine seed. But even that, the path to that seems very difficult at this point of the season. What are you going to do next year? You have to re-sign D'Lo. Is he going to be a core building block for you? Um Anthony Davis still, I mean, last night, we didn't even talk about how he looked. That's worrisome. I think this team needed to do something a little bigger to shake up the situation. Now, they still can in the offseason. They also still have one pick. But if they're banking on D'Lo and Malik Beasley and Vanderbilt to turn their season around to the point where they're not just a playing team, I don't think it really changes much. So congratulations. They made a good move. They got off Westbrook, but... I would not be singing in the streets if I was a Lakers fan. <laughs> well, I th- I do think that they had to trade Westbrook because they were going to lose his $40 million slot, right, to acquire players. You could quibble with what they got back, but I think given the offers that we were hearing, this was about as good as they were going to do for Westbrook going to pick because even though he's expiring, he had basically no value to anyone because he's going to be immediately bought out. I think the more interesting question is just like, to our point about LeBron and just whatever version of Anthony Davis we have who have basically no help, there is a reality that this is this was the worst 3-2 through 12 in the league. And now they had three guys who are probably in their top seven or eight, right? Um, and so there's certainly a benefit to doing so. I think, you know, ultimately this was not a trade for this year. It was a trade for next year. Now they can go in. They're going to keep Rui. They're going to, you know, sort of keep some of these guys around it, and then they're going to be able to just add to it. Now, can they get out of the play-in mix of the top six? This year, maybe. I mean, there's just not really a lot of teams that are that are out there, but what can they build on next year? And now LeBron kind of got his promise, right, that he's definitely going to stay because that was, I think, what was one of the things that they seem to be contingent on. You know, trading Russ and improving that roster. Quickly from Minnesota's angle, I, I think Russ, D'Angelo Russell had been playing better this year. Any any thoughts on sort of um, them moving on from from Russell to a more professional, even keel point guard in Conley to try to settle things down in Minnesota, which is otherwise kind of a very topsy-turvy year. They're 29 and 28 now, but at some point it's like, all right, are we going to put up or shut up after trading 1,000 picks for Rudy Gobert? I, I know Conley's not who he was, but I like going after Conley because he, he understands how to play with Rudy. Um, they've got a good relationship. He brings some stable leadership. They they can deal without the scoring from, from D'Lo to bring in the, the adult in the room. Uh, at the same time, though, they gave up a lot. They gave up Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. They gave up Beasley. They give up. Uh, and so this is a team that 
used to be last year, what made them so good is they were a very deep team. That depth has already shown to be flawed this season, and now it's even worse. And and Conley, as good as he is, isn't going to rectify all your issues because he's just he's not 2013 Mike Conley. <laughs> this is 2023 Mike Conley. So right. I, I, I like Conley addition instead of D'Lo, but I just felt like they gave up a lot in this deal um, and, and got a pick. Uh, but I wasn't a can huge you be- fan. Can you believe they uh, went back to the Danny Ainge well after what happened? Yeah, seriously. That's actually incredible. After all the the kind of criticism of that trade, they went right back. They seriously went there and said, we were so shellacked this last time, we could only have one way to go but up. So let's try it again. And honestly, to their credit, they made a better deal than they did with for Rudy Gobert. So they did They did have nowhere to go but up. So I guess I give them credit for that. Um, and Utah is just stockpiling. I think they're up to 15 or 21st of the next uh, – or of the next, you know, seven, eight years, they're kind of building that OKC level war chest. Um, and they get to sit on an all-star and Laurie Markinen and some other young prospects. I'm excited to see kind of what they do uh, before tomorrow, because maybe there's more guys to move, whether it's Clarkson, whether it's, um, uh, you know, Sexton, who knows? Yeah, they could make a lot more, a lot more moves. Um, the, the one thing I'll say about D'Angelo Russell is he's been playing better. Um his numbers are good. His shooting's good. He's been a plus for them offensively. I just, it, he's one of those guys that on a on a team like the Lakers that really wants to be serious about contending, I, I don't know if they're going to depend on him, right? So is he just a short-term gap solution for them and then they figure it out in the offseason? Or do you think they want him to be part of this core? I mean... I think there's an opportunity for him to prove that. I think he's certainly got the talent. The question is, is he just going to mesh and play good team basketball? And that's been a question for him his whole career, right? It's not necessarily been about the skill or the even the production at times. It's like, can you play within the team concept? Can you play good defense? Can you play unselfish basketball on the offensive end? Um, and those are those are things that we're just going to have to see, right? But is he an upgrade from some of the guys they had before him? Absolutely. I mean, he's going to make that team look way better just by being a functioning pulse on the court versus some of these dudes they've been rolling out there. So, um, that's 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 kind of weird. what do you, what, what do you think? I yeah, you're you're I, lo- you're lower on it, I think, than I am. I'm a little bit lower. I'm definitely a little bit lower. Um, I just think this team needs. All these moves look good on paper. I agree. And what they got for the the pick and Westbrook getting off the Westbrook deal was the biggest goal. I just the West is so deep. They have to with LeBron in your in his last couple of years of his career, AD as still at the tail end of his prime or in his prime. I think you just need to aim bigger. And I and I feel like this is helping kind of shore up the roster, but they need a plan to make a bigger move. And maybe they do have one. So we'll see this offseason. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, that yeah, I think there's a lot to come here because a lot of these friends, like you look at a team like Minnesota, they've committed to their future, right? So now this is their new squad. Um, the Lakers have now committed to this core. Um, the Jazz have flexibility, but you know they they certainly will see what they look like. So I think I, I'm interested to see and, and maybe kind of to close like how tomorrow shapes up because 
There are teams that are ready to go for it. There's teams that uh, don't want to sell because they still think the plan is is in uh, in, in range. Like someone like Toronto, who knows what they're going to do. Um, but yeah, like this is kind of where you make your last run. And whether you're a Boston who's looking at a fringe piece, or maybe a Brooklyn who has to add a straight up you know second star, or someone like that, or Miami, what are they going to do? So there's a lot of uh, who 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 are you most excited to see teams wise, and then maybe players wise uh, to potentially be on the move tomorrow. Tomorrow, I'm really excited to see. Well, I don't think Katie will be moved, but I would. That to me would be the biggest kind of game changer. Mm-hmm. Um, Toronto definitely, just because we know a lot of their players are up for grabs, and those are all guys who can change a team's uh, fortune instantly, right? Teams were looking to add OG or Siakam are all looking to contend. I think so. The Raptors will be the most interesting how much they actually uh, end up moving and then what teams get those guys. Yeah. We'll see, man. I, I think OG is certainly top of the list. Fred Van Bleet. And then to a lesser extent, is there any sort of fringe guys that move that maybe change the nucleus for a, a Milwaukee or some of these top tiers? Because it could be a Jakob Pertle. It could be like a Will Barton. Those those deals won't obviously create the wave that tonight's deal did when – when you see what happens, but Clippers again, they need a point guard. Do they just wait it out for Russell Westbrook? I have no idea. He imagine Russell Westbrook and Wall on the same team. Oh my goodness! The rims would have to be changed out every game. I think. Fun fact about Russ, right? Um, he won the MVP in 2017, right? Mm-hmm. He signed a five-year, 205 million extension that year, that yep. summer, and that was the largest contract in NBA history. And in mm-hmm. year one, he played for the Thunder. Year two, traded to the Rockets. Year three, traded to the Wizards. Year four, traded to the Lakers. And now in year five, traded to the Jazz. So if he had gotten traded this offseason, that would have been really poetic. Five years on the Supermax, five teams. Yeah, exactly. So, By the way, the report came out on this pick the Lakers gave up. They just gave up one pick. It's top one to four protected. If it doesn't convey, it turns into a second rounder. That is incredible. That is awesome. That's actually great. I mean, why did they give up? Why would the Jazz do this? Uh, yeah, this is somehow the Lakers always end up in the situation. Yeah, why are teams doing the friendly, this? The friendly side of the deal. I don't know, man. There's probably some back behind the back behind the door scenes, things happening with Clutch. Who knows? There's some relationships there, promises made. You never know. Everyone in the league seems to work for Clutch, including Adam Silver, I guess. Yeah. But, but what, yeah, so the Lakers somehow, of course, come out of this fine. They get off the deal. They're not, they're still going to contend, but that's fine. I'm more excited, actually. The East is where the movement's going to be very fascinating with um, some of these teams. Yep. Um, all right. Well, that is a wrap for us. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops. Uh, I guess we'll talk next week about what happens um, with, with trade deadline tomorrow. We already had so much action between Kyrie, Russell Westbrook, LeBron James breaking the record. So plenty enough for this episode, but we'll be back with all of the reactions from how the league shapes up. And then it's All-Star Weekend, so we're going to have to make our picks and Kevin Durant's annual tradition of sitting out and you know, sort of being nowhere to found. So who, who, quickly before we go, three guys are already pretty much slated to miss the game. Curry, um, 
Zion in the West and KD in the East. Who are your replacement predictions? So not who you would, just your predictions. Predictions would be uh, it's definitely Fox. Mm-hmm. And I think Ant. Okay. Ant over. So I agree with Fox. I think he's a lock. Ant over AD. I think Ant over AD. Um, even though AD has now come back, played a couple of games, I, I just, yeah, I think it's going to be that's, Ant over AD. Yeah. See, that's what I was going to say. AD's come back into our consciousness. And despite last night, notwithstanding, he's put together some good games since he's been back. So I kind of feel like they're going to give it to him because they're like, oh, yeah, this dude's really, really good. Yeah. Maybe, but I also feel like I don't know when they're deciding this. But last night must have left a bad taste in my mouth. <laughs> so if they're deciding it like t- today or tomorrow, um, that changes. In the East, I think I have a feeling it's not who I, I. I think it's Harden. Harden, okay. Because I'm trying to go back through the list. It was like Harden would be my pick personally, and I I do think he'll be the one. But it was basically what Harden, Brunson, um, Siakam, Garland. I would say those are probably your top four. Yep. And, and you could argue Siakam. Man. You could definitely argue Siakam. But because the Raptors have not been as good this year, and Siakam got recognized quite a bit last year, they might. Can we argue Perzingis? He's been a killer. <laughs> They're never going to get. <laughs> what are the Wizards up to now? Seventh? Eighth? Let me check. We just had a very heart-stopping win over the Charlotte Hornets. We're now 26-29, and 29, so we're half game out of uh, 10th and one game out of – sorry, half game out of 9th and one game out of 8th. So we're 10th right now. Oh, wow. Never mind. Even after like the – anyways, I feel like – see, the problem with the East, why I always argue about the East, is like I feel like you've played five games against the Hornets, and those are just we, like easy wins. We have played it's the not Hornets even possible, a lot. But you've played we them so much. Season. We finished our season uh, series against the Hornets, mercifully. Okay, so you have played them a lot, right? I'm like, why do I yeah, always think we of played the them a lot. Wizards games happening? Well, I feel like the damn Rockets and Kings have played like 10 times. And they're you playing know, it's these back-to-backs that just make it seem like... Although you never played that one back-to-back, but yeah, we played Houston on Tuesday and then we're playing them today. Yeah, see? And it looks like you're losing right now, so this is a, this is one that you need. Because yeah. guess who's creeping up on you? The old it's Clippers. Ky- Kyrie and no, no. Oh, I was gonna say, guess who's creeping up on us on Friday for our next game? Is Kyrie oh, and the Luka. Mavericks? Yeah. Well, we'll see if Luca's back. But the Clippers are literally one game back of the Kings, and I'm pretty sure that's going to be their third seed by the end of the week. So all this hullabaloo <laughs> about the Clippers. To your credit, you were not one of those people who was freaking out about them. Now there's potentially ready to be a top three seed in the West. Yeah. Everyone's cla- – I mean, Phoenix and the Clippers are hot. Dallas yes, Phoenix just is coming. added Kyrie. Those are your four through six seeds. So if the Kings can just stay six, I'll be happy. But, yeah, Phoenix and L.A. are climbing. Well, you know, Booker is back, and then but the Grizzlies are, ta- are, are free-falling. The, the Warriors obviously have no curry for, you know, call it a month. And then the Pelicans maybe will never see Zion and his hamstring again this season. So the Kings, I would say, definitely have the inside track to stay in the top six. But, you know, maybe they make a move tomorrow, right? What, what are they going to do? Like, we don't know yet. I wanted Vanderbilt. I think we'll get someone like Plumley, and we'll be happy. Um, we just need a big depth uh, who can kind of back up homes play the five 
But I don't know. Isn't that Monty, what Holmes you know, the, is the doing Sabonis? for Sabonis? Huh? Isn't that what Holmes' role is for Sabonis to be the backup five? And Holmes sucks. Yeah. He's horrible. I mean, the push Kings shot fans is are the, convinced the honeymoon for the push shot is over. Yeah, the honeymoon's long gone. <laughs> um, Mason Plumlee is what we got our eyes on now. So that's the hope. Looked right. you know, the Sabonis Halliburton trade came out of nowhere last year. So Monty, he operates in the dark, and there might be a big move. Um, and he's shown he's not afraid to kind of do something bold. I'm just I know saying, you're, you never know. I know you're waiting on the victory lap, but Halley's struggled since coming back from injury a little bit. I, I, I'm not going to take a victory lap. I just said that let's not get carried away, and I think we all got carried away. Um, he's looking a little tentative offensively. He's not, you know, he's still getting his assists, but he's taking like, you know, five, ten shots a game. Just, just doesn't look like he's all the way there. I don't know. Yeah, and I don't know how much is the injury, but I think, you know, that was always... And the, the Pacers are also, even with him back, are not lighting the world on fire anymore. No, they're so, not. So that one might be... Maybe we're, we're going to look Let like... Let the whole season play out. Like, everyone is t- calling this guy All-NBA, Hall of Fame, top, like, one of the top players moving forward. Now I really want Harden to make the All-Star team because if he doesn't, it's going to look very stupid um, because he's going to end up having a much better year, I think, than Halliburton. I don't know. It'll be maybe more on par, but yeah, you're to your point. And the, the Sixers are such a good team. That's the other thing. The Sixers are going to be on their way to like 55 wins. Right. So, yeah. All right. This is the longest post uh, exit (laughs) discussion that we've had, but thanks again for listening. We will talk to you next week.